This is the Bushwick Variety Show. And I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 10. In this episode, I interview Taylor Guerin, actor, comedian, writer at Reductress. She has a comedy show tonight, May 10th, at UCB Comedy Hell's Kitchen at 8 p.m., and another one this Sunday, May 13th, at Pine Box Rock Shop in Brooklyn, kicking it off at 7.30 p.m. Uh, we had a great time talking. We talked about how she got the job as a staff writer at Reductress. Uh, we talked about some of her upcoming comedy events. We talked about an up- upcoming or currently screening uh, movie that she's in, um, web series. Uh, it was just a great overall conversation. Um, I look forward to seeing what she does in her career. I think she's off to a great start. And... I think she has a great voice, both uh, literally and figuratively. Um, She can sing, too. But, yeah, I think she also offers a great voice and perspective for our times. And I'm glad to see it getting out there and look forward to getting it out there more. So, without further ado, this and all of the interviews that I share here was recorded in the Rack Shack in Bushwick, Brooklyn, an all-inclusive lingerie boutique. This is Taylor Guerin. Let's have a conversation. So how are you doing, Taylor? I'm doing all right. Uh, I've been working a lot, but I guess that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess uh, when you're in the industry I am, I'm in working a lot uh doesn't necessarily mean making a lot of money so i kind of wish i'm kind of looking forward to the day that it does but until then i'm just gonna keep working a lot i guess <laughs> and the industry you are in is many things it's so many things i guess the the broad industry the umbrella industry is just entertainment but mm-hmm. uh i'm a writer i'm an actress i've been doing lots of stand-up um, just booked a show at Pine Box Rock Shop, actually. Well, I know first, where that is. <laughs> yeah, uh, first show is May 13th, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but yeah, I've been doing lots of stand-up, taking a couple of improv and sketch classes. Um, where are you uh, taking those at? At UCB, at nice. Citizens Brigade, yeah. My just, brother's in the LA one. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. We, um, at Reductress, the company I write for, we have a monthly comedy show and we do it at one in New York and one in LA. Nice. And um, the one in, we do it at UCB. So one is at uh, UCB Hell's Kitchen in New York and then the other is at UCB Sunset in LA. Yeah. I got to get out there. I've never been there. You do. Um, I mean, I'm sure you have friends and stuff out there, but I I'll do. put you in touch with my brother too. He's yeah, cool please dude. do. Um, nice. Yeah. I realized uh, the last time, I realized this just before you arrived, the last time you've actually been in this room with me uh, rehearsing the play that we uh, did yeah. a few months ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a that was an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I the last couple of times we were in here, I just had like major abdominal surgery. So oh, I was like, yeah, you remember that? Right. So I was like, uh, like trying to dance, but also trying not to like fall over and vomit. But 
Yeah. We made it through. Yes, we did. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to remember, did you start writing for Reductress before that production or was it in between the it, two productions? It was in between the two productions. So I um, was an intern. I got an internship there. Uh, it started in June of 2017. Um, and then I interned there for the whole summer and... I would, and then it was literally like I interned there for the whole summer, and then had surgery. Well, yeah, and then, and then the play happened, and then as soon as like the play was kind of over, I got hired there as a staff writer. So nice, Con- yeah. Congrats on that, by the Thank way. Thank you. It's part time. Um, <laughs> um, so let's uh let's go back a little bit. Cool. Um, so that's the newest thing. Is that's reduct- well. Also, the last time I saw, like during the production, I saw you do uh, stand up one night. Um, yeah. Set. Um, it was good, by the way. Thank um, you. I appreciate it. It's definitely better now. It, I mean, it's weird to get on stage and tell jokes and then get on, and then three months later, get on stage and tell the same jokes and somehow be funnier the second time. But it's just that I feel like so much of stand up is just confidence in your material and uh, less of that, less like ums, uhs, and pauses and stuff and just telling a joke and. The audience can totally read that, and it's you get more of a response when you've done it more times. Yeah. So I get up and do like the same exact set, and people laugh way more than they did when I first started, which is great. <laughs> when did you start doing stand-up? Um, I did a bunch in college, but it was totally different. Um, I do a lot of stand-up about my identity as a black woman, mm-hmm. um, and it was way it was easier to do it when I was in Amherst, Massachusetts, because everyone is white and I could get on stage and be like, <laughs> fried chicken and people would laugh and, you know, find it funny. Partly because uh, whatever kind of repressed feelings those people have about black people and also, but I'd say more and majorly because uh, there's a lot of like very, very liberal people out there who feel obligated to laugh at who feel obligated to like like what a black woman does um which is great for me they laughed at all my jokes even if they weren't funny but then I moved to New York and I was like oh I have to uh be funny (laughs) like I can't just tell jokes about being black that people laugh at because they can't relate but they want to relate um so it took me a while to kind of get into the swing of things here because the industry is just so intimidating here there's so many like talented people like this is where comedy was born and exists you know Mm -hmm. so uh yeah, I I I only st- I moved here about four years ago, but I only started doing comedy um, in like the past year or so, maybe like two years or so. But more recently, like been doing it prolifically in like the past years. So, yeah. Remind me the date coming up at Pine Box. Just uh... oh, it's Sunday, May thirteenth at eight p.m. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All of that will be in the uh, show notes and everything for the episode and links to Taylor's other stuff will be there as well um, on BushwickVarietyShow.com and everything. Um, okay, so stand-up, writing, acting, uh, what came first? Um, the acting definitely came first. Um, I caught the bug really early. I was in a play. I played, I played Elf Number 3 in a production of The Littlest Christmas Tree, which is not a real play. It's one of those ones that they do in elementary schools for, like, kids. Um, And I had one line, and it's, look, Santa and Mrs. Claus, they're coming. And I I performed my ass off, really. It was like I made sure that one line was, like, I stole the show, or at least in in my 
uh, nine-year-old head I stole the show. Hashtag no small parts. Yeah, exactly. Never that. Um, but I really, I was an elf, so I, I was a small person, so I, I, it was a small part. Um, but yeah, they, uh, I, I got really into acting after that. I took um, kind of any opportunity I could. There were like a bunch of community theater things going on that I did. Where did you grow up? In New Bedford, Massachusetts. Okay, yeah. so that's where you grew up. Yeah, childhood. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was 11... I auditioned for a show called Zoom on PBS, um, which was like if you had really strict parents or you were poor, that was you probably remember it from your childhood. Um, it was like an educational show for kids. And my it was PBS was kind of all that my parents let me watch. So I watched a lot of it. Um, and one day at the end of an episode of Zoom that I was watching, they announced that there was an open casting call for pe- kids who wanted to be on Zoom. You had to be between like nine and 14 or whatever. Um, and I begged my parents to take me, like begged and begged. And my dad was totally on board and my mom was totally the opposite, like not on board at all. But we, me and my dad both begged my mom and she was like, all right, fine. So I went and auditioned um, and there were 3,000 kids there and I was very intimidated. I'd never done any acting really, um, except for that one play. But I was really excited and I got a callback and then I got three more callbacks and I made it all the way until there were only 30 kids left. Um, and then I didn't make it on the show and my little heart was broken. Um, but they called me the people at PBS in the January of the next year and encouraged me to audition again. So I did, even though my mom was even more like, see, I told you, like, you shouldn't have done this. Um, I did it anyway and I got it on that time. So I spent the summer recording and I was on season seven, um, super fun. But it was like a full-time job. I was like 12 years old and I was on set from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. Um, and it was an hour away from my house. So my dad would wake up in the morning and uh, drive me from New Bedford to Boston to go shoot uh, for an hour, like drive an hour. to. And your mom was like, that's on you. Yeah, my mom was like, you're doing this. <laughs> um, but my dad would drive me for an hour to Boston and then drive back to my hometown, go to work all day, and then drive an hour back to Boston, pick me up, and then drive back to our hometown. So shout out to my dad if you're listening, because yeah. that's like a, you kind of killed it for me. I appreciate that. Um, he did get reimbursed for gas. I do want to make that clear. But um, so after season seven, they canceled the show. Um, but they had another show on afterwards and they cast me on that one as well. It was called Fetch with Rough Ruffman. Um, it was hosted by an animated dog, um, voiced by Jim Conroy. Shout out to Jim Conroy. He's a really cool actor dude. He lives in New Jersey. Um, I think New Jersey, maybe Long Island. I don't know. He's out there. Um, but yeah, and kind of since then I've just been doing what I can, not even necessarily professionally. Um, even though doing those doing those two things got me into SAG-AFTRA, which is kind of funny. Um, but I also didn't know that I had to pay dues to SAG-AFTRA. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I am not in good standing with them. I, yeah. <laughs> um, apparently they cut you off after like a couple mm-hmm. of years of not paying dues. And so it's not like I've racked up uh, like 14 years of dues. It's like three years that I just have not had the capital to pay back. Um, but I'm trying to like talk to them because I was a child when that happened, like 11 and 12. Um, so maybe they'll just forgive it. We'll see. Uh, remains to be seen. Talk to them. You know, you never know. Yeah. I just, I feel like I've called them a million times, but there's just like a million people there and you can yeah. b- bounce back and forth and send emails and stuff. But yeah. So, uh, 
got a little off tangent there, but I guess going back to the original question, acting is definitely the thing I've been doing the longest. Um, and I'm really passionate about it. I'm in a weird place where I moved to New York to kind of be an actress. Like that was the reason that I got here. But I realized when I got here that I never, uh, I don't know how to do it. Like I didn't have stage parents who pushed me in a direction to become an actress and got me an agent and stuff like that. I literally just went to an open call and got really lucky and have booked a couple of things because of the, the producers I know or like the gigs that I've uh, gotten that are tangentially related to me getting cast on Zoom in this open casting call. Um, so I'd love to do more acting, but I just don't really know the right steps to take except for like going to auditions all the time, which I is not financially feasible for me because I have right. to go to work all the time. Um, kind of makes it feel like acting is only for people whose parents support them, which is totally fine. I wish my parents would support me, but there has to be some other way to do it. Yeah. It's tricky. Mm. There are ways, but um, they're changing. And I mean, a certain amount of it is what happened with you. Like, I mean, you have to be there to be lucky. Is Absolutely. The thing. Yeah. But um, still like doing the things, doing the right things. You can have bad luck sometimes and then you can have good luck. Good luck randomly. others. Yeah. Yeah. I was the lead in a film that's been going to some festivals. Um, and I found the role on Craigslist. I just happened to be perusing, perusing like the uh, like the acting roles on Craigslist. And most of them are admittedly porn roles. And this one, the movie is called The Things We Do When We're Alone. So when I saw the ad for it, I was like, hmm. this might be a porn too. <laughs> yeah. This might very well be a porn. Um, but I video chatted with the director who is another black woman, Chanel James. She's amazing. She just moved to Atlanta. Um, and she seemed really great. And I did an audition and she thought I would, was the right fit for the role so we shot in atlanta for two weeks and then we shot the rest in brooklyn um and that we yeah we've been going to festivals and stuff um that's pretty exciting to see yeah. like myself in every scene of this film on like the big screen it's really cool that's awesome yeah and i played a 17 year old which also made me feel very young looking <laughs> and fabulous <laughs> um but yeah writing was a recent thing um, did you come to writing like from stand up? Like, did that get you into it or? It was weird. I've always liked writing. Mm -hmm. I never thought I'd be a writer. And it's not because I didn't want to. It was just because for some reason it just didn't seem like a feasible thing that I could do. Like I could just like I didn't know how to do it. But at the same time, I guess acting seemed like a feasible thing that I could do. And I still have done it. Um, I don't know. I. I just happened into it by accident. I really liked Reductress and um, I was on their website one day and they were looking for interns. So I kind of just applied in a whim. Um, and I had a friend who was also a satire editor and he looked over the piece that I wrote to submit and he gave me notes and the rest is history. I applied and they interviewed and they liked me, I guess. And so I interned there all summer and it just so it's it's weird. Reductors is a very small company. There's only five of us there total. Um, there's a ton of contributors, but in the office there are only five of us. Um, and they were completely staffed by the time I had my internship. But right when my internship ended, two of the women that worked there got hired to write on a late night show at the same time. And so they had two vacancies and they asked if I wanted to hop on. So that was one of those times where like I was in the right place and lucky and I yeah. got lucky, which was cool. Um, so now I'm a writer, which I never expected. Um, 
yeah, it's really rad. I love writing. I write, and writing comedy is also a totally different right. ball game than writing other stuff. But it's it's great, and it's opened a lot of doors in terms that in terms of like I, for instance, I booked the comedy shows that we do. I think I talked a little bit about mm-hmm. that before. Um, so I've gotten to know just by virtue of hosting and booking these comedy shows, all these great comedians and some of them have put me on their shows and I've like started friendships with some of them who have helped me out in that way. And it's just all very cyclical and uh, a lot of doors have opened simply because I decided to take an unpaid internship like one summer and just be really poor. Um, so I definitely came here to act, but it's, it's moving in the writing direction and I'm just kind of letting, letting and doing things. Yeah. I'm just yeah. like letting it see, seeing where I fall. Cause I, there's definitely some overlap between acting and writing too. And same with like meeting comedians and people making comedy movies and doing stuff like that. Um, so yeah, just seeing where, seeing where the wind takes me. You also, um, are working on a webisode series too, right? Yeah. Um, I wrote a web series about me and so when I, okay, when I first moved here, I was a nanny for three years for this little girl. Um, and she was very, very wealthy, but also really smart and amazing. And we just had a great time for three years. And I wrote a web series about our experiences. Um, and we shot it last March and I haven't gotten around to editing it because my laptop is really old, but I just did some work for Vice and they're paying me really well. So I'm def- I'm getting a new laptop uh, in like the next couple of weeks and I have to edit it. It's just sitting on an external hard drive, but that'll be out soon. It's called Somebody's Kid. Nice. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, that was another, I never thought that I could just, it's weird to realize that you're like, oh, one day I want to like make a TV show. And you can and you can do just it. Do now. it. You yeah. can just like write a TV show. <laughs> you know you. And I think also, um, I would encourage you specifically, mm-hmm. but like anybody, um, but you, you know, you can write. You can. You have multi talented things. You should do it. Yeah. And that's ultimately, I think, it's. I, I say you should do it. You should do whatever you want. No, totally. But but, I think you should do it because, um, as far as like for the acting thing. If you can do, if you can write, if you can produce your own stuff, mm-hmm. then you don't have to wait um, and figure out what to do on somebody else's script. And exactly. by doing those things, just like these random things you're talking about happened mm-hmm. um, out of luck, it's like you put yourself in the position yeah. for people to see your work and see you, you know? They say that luck, well, they say that a success is uh, like work plus opportunity you know and it's like and luck you know luck yeah work plus opportunity plus luck and if you have what it takes to do it and you're working hard and you have something that you can present when luck happens and the opportunity presents itself then like that's how people break into the industry you know also some people have rich parents but yeah who like know producers and stuff but that's like i i would i would dare to say that's like a way smaller percentage of people who make it into the industry than people who just like are working hard all the time and just happen to be in the right place at the right time yeah but yeah that's actually what you said before going back like a tiny bit it's something i've thought about a lot where it's like when i was taking steps to becoming and like a like a real working actress here um this is tricky to kind of discuss in a way that i think people understand but as a black woman (laughs) um there aren't a and there weren't, and it's it's changing a little bit now, but there weren't a super uh, numerous amount of roles for us. 
that weren't like, oh, a prisoner or a prostitute or yeah. somebody's best friend. And even for certain roles that are uh, like kind of more to the forefront, supporting roles, if you will, lots of producers are looking just because showrunners are not um, – and like I said, this is changing. They're looking to diversify in a way that I think sometimes is very superficial. And so they're like, all right, we need a black woman in the show, but we need her to be as black as possible right. to make up for the lack of diversity across the rest of the cast. She needs to be like all of blackness embodied. Uh, all black women are a monolith and they're all the same. And we want, you know, our representations to be what we think black women are, even though we're a bunch of middle-aged white dudes. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily fit that role. Um, there's also the other side of that where they're like, we want a black woman who is identifiably, identifiably, um, like ethnic, but maybe she's half white, but we'll call her black. Um, and she has all white friends and she has pin straight hair and she went to an Ivy league college. And, you know, it's like this very, they're two very sanitized versions of blackness right. and one they're just on like two different ends of the spectrum and I don't fit into either necessarily. Um, and that person, the one I was just discussing is also very light skinned and also has very European features. And I do have light skin, but I do not have European features. So it's like I fall in between the middle of that spectrum and there are almost no roles that I necessarily uh, fit into. I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's a weird, it's even weird to talk about because it sounds arrogant where it's like, I'm not black enough or like I'm too black for this, you know? But when white people are making the roles and when white people are writing these roles, it's like you have to fit into a certain kind of what they see as blackness. And I fit into my own blackness because <laughs> yeah. I'm an individual like all black people are. Um, so I, I, that's actually what kind of spurred me to write um, the web series that I did because I realized that there, no one was going to write a role for me. I had to write them for myself. Um, and things are changing really fast and that's great. And there are a lot of black women showrunners and there are well, a lot, there are more black women showrunners than there were 10 years ago. Um, and some of them have multiple like, yeah. Yeah. They're a, like doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's amazing. And it's, it's really inspiring I think that when you see representations of yourself all the time, it can be hard to realize that like somebody not seeing representations of themselves can like affect how they, how successful they feel they can be in a certain realm. Like I didn't know, I knew black authors, like black female authors growing up uh, and black people, female poets because my mom was like into all of them, mm -hmm. but I didn't know any black female TV writers. I didn't know any black female showrunners, any black female producers, um, even any black female actresses that I saw myself in necessarily. Um, and so I just, it wasn't even like an active thought where I was like, Oh, so that means there's no place for me. It was more just like, yeah, this is not a job that someone like me does, mm. which is like, so such a bummer and like yeah. so problematic. And it's like hard again. I, I mean, I don't have the perspective of, of a white dude who sees or a white woman who sees themselves represented ad infinitum to the point where it's like not even a representation thing. It's just the norm. Um, but I always wonder how they would feel if all of a sudden all of TV was black characters and there were one or two white characters or all of a certain industry was black and they didn't see them. They didn't see themselves having like a place in that industry. It's weird. And it's like, it's difficult to like get past. It's difficult to be confident enough to pursue 
a career in an industry where you don't see other people who like look like you come from the same kind of background that you come from. Um, and that was a lot of why I never even thought that being a writer was a thing until I was like, oh, here I, I'm a writer now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm myself and I'm a black writer. So here's my representation, you know? And what is, uh, so tell me about, like, I know Reductress because I know you. Mm -hmm. kind of, I'm a fan <laughs> of you and I've read your articles. Yeah. And they're good. You should totally read Taylor's articles. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about Reductress? Because I literally only, like, I know them as the company that you write for yeah, and yeah. part of. Um, <laughs> so we're a fairly new company. Um, we were founded in 2013 by Sarah Papalardo and Beth Newell. And um, it's, it's a satire website in the same way that The Onion is. But The Onion, I think, is focused more on uh, news and... Uh, Reductress is focused on satirizing women's media specifically and kind of a condescending way that women are communicated with through their media. And we've kind of, that's how we started and we've kind of branched out into doing other like kind of general satire, but always with like a feminist kind of angle. Um, yeah, that's, I guess, kind of what we stand for. Um, and I like that your articles uh, specifically um, bring in like the intersection of race and gender issue, like you know, totally. And they are they're super relevant um, yeah. to each other, especially for me as I'm both a woman and I'm also black. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's weird. We it's it's weird to say that I'm the only person of color that is on staff there, but there's also only five of us. So actually I'm overrepresented. <laughs> <laughs> I am 20% of uh reductress. But um yeah. I sometimes feel like it's a weird it's a weird kind of uh like it's a very thin line between I feel like I have to write articles that are about race because no one else is going to do them. But also, I guess if someone's going to write about the experience of a black woman, it should be a black woman. So mm. I'm not, it's never like, a, oh, I feel pushed or like pressured to do this. I also love writing. I mean, if we're all writing from our own experience, then it would just follow that I would, some of the experiences that I had would be specific to me being black. Um, so I've never felt uh, like tokenized in that way, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it is cool because we are our audience is primarily white women between the eight like college age and up. Um, so it's cool to have branched out in that way a little bit. Um, I read a comment on one of our posts the other day that said intersectional reductress is the best reductress, and it was like the best compliment that anyone could have given me ever. Not that yeah. they gave it to me personally, <laughs> but it was on an article that I wrote. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been really fun. Of course, I write about things that aren't. The other day I wrote an article. We have a column called Guy Corner, Dude Corner. And it's basically uh, we give a column to like one dude who gets to write for Reductress. But it's not actually a dude. It's just us writing from like an ignorant dude's voice. Um, and I wrote this article the other day called Dude Corner. Um, if women get free tampons, then men should get free Red Bull. <laughs> and it's one of the dumbest things I've ever written. But it's kind of just satirizing Dudes who are like, well, why do women get this? If like women get this, if women have to deal with this, if women get to deal with this thing that comes naturally to them and is actually like pretty fucking miserable and like happens once a month that we can't handle, then like 
why am I left out of that? It's just totally like I'm left out of this culture and it's right. like fun to make, to like poke fun at that. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, to bring it back to race, uh-huh. like that sort of like the, well, why can't I say that word? Absolutely. I've been trying it. to work that into an article <laughs> and it's just like so hard. I pitched one um, called, okay, I guess this requires some pretext. That's why they did not take it. But I mean, there's many reasons, but that's why. One of them. Um, do you know what negging is? Yeah. So I, it's it's like a form of emotional abuse where basically men target or whoever targets um, like emotionally vulnerable people and they give them backhanded compliments essentially like, oh, you'd be so hot if you lost 15 pounds. Mm. That's an egg. And it's like they prey on people's insecurities so that people feel um, like they crave their approval. And they're never going to get their approval. It's a, it's a form of emotional abuse, basically. But so I pitched this article that was called Male Feminist Can't Think of Anything More Offensive to Be Called Than a Negger. And obviously there are many reasons why they didn't take that one. Right. But uh, I think, I don't know, I would have to, it would, it, it would, uh, I said that out loud at a comedy show once and everyone, it, there, I got no laughs. I got only groans. And I was like, I said nagger, no nagger <laughs> with an E. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been trying to incorporate like a, why can't I say that into an article? And I just haven't found a way that uh, my editors will let, will let me. <laughs> right. But one of these days, but yeah, that's totally it is. It's like, we sometimes do headlines that are like, Blah, 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 says woman, says man who blah, blah, blah. Um, and all of those are pretty much satirizing people who say who say things that are like hypocritical to their actions. Um, and I think that's like a lot of sometimes how I feel about specifically, specifically white dudes being like, well, why is there a woman only event? Or not even just white dudes, like all dudes. Like, isn't it discriminatory to like leave men out of something? Right. Or like, isn't it discriminatory to leave like white people out of something? And it's like, why do you need to be included in everything? Yeah. And it's black like, people were left out of the population this, for yeah, hundreds exactly. of years. Like, we've been left out of opportunity. Like we've been left <laughs> as second class, you know, and we still are. Yeah. Let's not, let's keep it straight. Let's not get it twisted that we still are. But yeah, it's like, it's yeah. It's so funny to hear that. I was hanging out with this guy the other day. Uh, well, realistically, I was drinking at a bar and I was talking to another guy that was at the bar. <laughs> and uh, I was talking, what were we talking about? I can't remember what specifically led to this conversation, but it was basically like, isn't leaving men out of a certain event exactly the opposite or exactly what women are trying to get? For themselves, like let me think of a better way to phrase that. Like leaving men out of an event is contradictory to the goal that feminists who are trying to like incorporate women into society into bigger roles are trying to achieve. And I just totally disagreed for I mean for many reasons. But of course I had to. And also it, it turned into another a conversation about race in the same way, where it's like white people and black people leaving people out. Um, and of course I had to very calmly um, and non-aggressively explain my <laughs> point of view while being like, oh, so what you're saying is, oh, yeah, I see where you could get that from, even though I want to be like, you're an idiot. Like, if you if I had to explain this to you, then, like, how smart are you actually? You think you're making a point, but I've had this conversation, like, 500 times. 
over and over again over over and over and over again in so many different ways on the internet in person like very aggressively like not aggressively at all like with people who i thought were my best friends you know and still are yeah but i basically had to break down and be like um like sorry go ahead no it's like it's just making me like specifically with the pressed groups Mm -hmm. um but in general like it's sort of like okay so yeah, for like oppressed groups or so if it's like black people, women, minor like minorities in all the whatever ways. it is sure. who's kind of being um, ostracized or whoever does not have the power in a getting dynamic. a bad like deal from society at the yeah. moment. If that group gets together to address that, or like let's say it's something else like the red light bulb makers, yeah, like, if, like this is for the red light bulb makers. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I'm getting together. Like, it's taken, like, automatically, if this is for the red light bulb makers, some mm-hmm. people take that type of thing. Like, well, if you're doing a thing just for the red light bulb makers, so you then you're against... Exactly. <laughs> like it's Well, that's exactly the whole Black Lives Matter thing. Yeah. Where it's like, people read Black Lives Matter, and they see Black Lives Matter, and nobody else does. Fuck you. When right. really it's like it's it's, it's crazy the opposite. that it's also crazy that it's like it's three words and that's the whole sentence and there's no other there's no commas there's no semicolons there's no parentheses it's just Black Lives Matter and people you'll say Black Lives Matter and people are like well and I'm like what it's it's as simple as that Black Lives Matter yeah and they're like all lives matter and I'm like yeah yeah but this is the ones we're focusing on right now right here's, the ones, clearly, here's what we're focusing on right now and like, we, we have a reason for it obviously mm-hmm. and it's still again this has never stopped like i wonder if things are ramping up but yeah the daily black man shot by police oh my god for holding like it Any just keeps object, happening right yeah yeah it's so stressful but yeah it's like um i had to break it down to this dude at the bar being like there are different implications for Let's say if we're just talking black people, white people, there are different implications for a black man saying like, oh, let me think of a good way to say this. Like white people have power in most societies, but specifically if we're talking just about the United States here. Um, so there are different implications for um like white there are different implications for white on black oppression as opposed to black on white oppression i'll put that in uh quotation marks um in the same way that like so if black people want to all get together and talk about race politics and they don't necessarily want white people there because they want to be able to discuss them freely without tiptoeing about other people's emotions and without being able to express themselves without somebody feeling like they need to be included in a certain way to change their language so that people don't feel left out um then I think that they should be able to do that. And white people have been doing that. It, it, yeah. Literally in like the government, like, you know, like in, in really high places and really high institutions um, where the consequences are dire. So if black people want to have a meeting in like a town or like a festival or anything, and they don't necessarily want white people to to be a part of it, it's interesting to me that white people would feel like they need to be a part of it. Because that's saying that like, this conversation is invalid without my opinion, which is white privilege. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's the same with men. It's like, oh, 
how come there can be like woman only gyms, woman only spaces, like woman only nights at a pool, woman only, you know what I mean? Like you're leaving out men and, and you're leaving out allies who are part of your, who are part of the fight for you, you know? And like, I understand where that's coming from because I think it's human nature to not want to be left out of things or, and I think that identity is so, uh, important and crucial and like, it's a big deal to people just by nature of like us being humans. And so someone not wanting to include part of whatever your identity is in a conversation they're having or in a, in, I say conversation, I don't mean like between two people. I mean, in like the, the greater sense, obviously to not include um, part of your identity in a conversation feels like a direct attack on you as opposed to uh, a protection of them. And it's not, it's not crazy to me that people would feel like that, but people do need to like take a step back and be like, Oh, maybe as a man, I don't need to be included in, I, I don't need to have. Well, it's, I'm just thinking about like different things about, cause like, you know, in general I do, you know, and I know you also like, it's like, I don't think we're we have a pretty diverse group of friends and Absolutely. like people that we work with and mm-hmm. know and hang out with. Um but like there I'm thinking of things. So in general like I don't think of myself as a I I try to be pretty inclusive about things sure. in general. Um but just thinking of examples like talking about men and women mm-hmm. where I think there are times when it would be beneficial for like men maybe to get together, like mm-hmm. say on a college campus. Yeah. And I feel like I've definitely as a black man, I've been a part of these types of things, mm-hmm. addressing specific issues, definitely about like black men that we go through. Sure. But I think it would be powerful if a group of men may probably multi-generational would be beneficial, whatever, but um, got together to maybe talk about like rape culture. Yeah, absolutely. And about being better men. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know what I mean? So that's like, I think it's, I have a problem with it if it's men getting together, um, just men, and they're talking about being abusive and promoting hateful ideas. Sure. That that I have a problem with. Or like men getting together and talking about how they're being left out as men. You right. Know? And there, there are, I mean... I think a part of feminism that like a lot of people, that word like bothers me. It is not for like the same reason that uh, um, it bothers other people. It's just feminism that as it exists today is like not super inclusive to me. And it's becoming that it's becoming that way. It's less to do with the word itself and more to do what the connotations and like what it means. But that's a totally different conversation. But anyway, um, I think a part of feminism that maybe some men just don't even know about, but some like to willfully ignore because they don't like the fact that like women are doing something um, is that part of feminism is like men's issues and it's like equality in all ways, you know? So it's like, do men face issues in society because of their gender? Absolutely. No one is saying that they don't. And it's like, do men have, have the right to organize and like talk about, talk about those kind of things? Absolutely. But I feel like the, the modern iteration of like, oh, men getting together and talking about their talking about their issues is not men getting together and like taking steps to like fix these issues. It's men getting together and talking about how women are are ruining yeah, things or, how, or how women are not paying attention enough to like men's issues. Where it's like, just talk about your fucking issues. Just like you know, do like we're happy to help. Like you know, I have a great father. I have a great brother. I have great men in my life who I like deeply care about. And like even a stranger on the street, like you know what I mean. People have the right to like be alive and feel comfortable and feel safe and feel happy. And so there's nothing about men wanting to, you know, 
be equal to women that bothers me. But for some reason, there's something, there's a problem. It bothers men, some men, that like women want to be equal to men. And it's like, sometimes it's hidden behind a veil of like, oh, well, we could call it something different or well, uh, you know, women have made like such great strides or something like that. And it's the same as racism. I feel like sometimes white people are like, oh, well, why are we being so divisive? You know, like why are, you know, why can't we, like we're all one human race. And I always want to be like, um, A, y'all literally divided us. Like we were segregated, mm-hmm. like we were slaves. If you're talking about divisiveness, it's not us. Yeah. And it's not now. Um, and then B is like a bigger picture. It's like, Race is a thing, whether we like it or not, and it has implications in this country. And, like, to try and brush over the past as if, like, what happened in this country from its history, from its found, founding till now, as if it doesn't – to brush over as if it doesn't have, like, consequences today is just irresponsible. And I think a lot of it is ignorance. I think a lot of people really are like, oh, well, on paper, black people have the same rights. It's not like we're – it's not like we have to use different fountains. It's not like we can't vote. But – because it's like they've never walked a mile in like a black person's shoes. Or they've never walked a mile in a woman's shoes. They like do not understand. I remember when the Me Too movement. Has, sorry, I keep jumping back and forth. No, it's fine. But when the Me Too movement happened, I had so many. There were so many stories, and I also had personally had so many dude friends who were like, "Wow, I didn't know it was like this common." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "We have been telling you for like a long time. Like we've been telling you." Or sometimes I have dude friends who I'll, I'll like. Sometimes I, if I walk down the street in the summertime, because this is cat, it's cat calling season. Uh, and I'm walking down the street with a couple of guy friends or whatever, a group of friends, I will get the guys to walk like 15 feet behind me. Because if they're next to me, I'm not going to get catcalled because men who are going to catcall me think I'm another man's property so they don't say anything to me. But if I'm walking by myself, and I've done this a couple of times, like men are, my guy friends are amazed at what dudes would say to me, how they act to me, like what gestures they make toward me when I walk by. And they're like, wow, I didn't know it was like this. Yeah. And it's like, I can totally see why you wouldn't because it doesn't happen to you. Right. But at the same time, why do you, th- do you think that feminists are just like talking shit into the sky? Like, why do you think this whole movement happened? Like just because you have never experienced it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. And it's crazy that you didn't believe women until you like physically had to witness. Like I had to be, I had to be verbally assaulted for you. You had to witness. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like I had to be verbally assaulted for you to believe all women on earth. Like mm-hmm. all it took is one man being like, Hey baby, like let me slide a credit card down your ass for you to be like, Oh my God, this is like a real problem. When I've been telling you it's a problem. And it's the same with black people. It's like, Oh wow. I didn't like, sometimes my white friends are with me and like something racial happens. They're like, Oh shit. I didn't like know it was like that. And I'm like, yeah, but I, do you think that, what do you think we're talking for? You think yeah. we're just like talking out our necks? I don't know. It's it's so crazy to me, but I'm happy that people are starting to get on the page. Like that's the point. And that's great. And we got to like keep moving. But uh Yeah, I got wait, I don't even know what we were originally talking <laughs> about. But, like uh I think that- I was thinking uh you were talking about the word feminism, which is like so I had some really good mentors um in my formative kind of like 18 to 20 mm-hmm. years. Um, and during that time, I kind of learned about feminism and the patriarchy mm-hmm. and learned that, you know, men can be and should probably be mm-hmm. feminists. Um, now I feel like it's gotten, cause there's virtue signal. Like, so now I'm, I hesitate to say that, but for a while I was, there's like a whole group of men who pretend to be feminists to get pussy, yeah. which is like, Wow, y'all are freaking tricky. Y'all are like, yeah. you guys figure it out. Anything you can, to like, get a little ass. <laughs> yeah. It's so um, funny. But yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, but uh, 
But then, so Black Panther came out mm-hmm. um, a few months ago, and uh, or was it a few months ago? Yeah, yeah, like a, like a month and a half. Yeah, it's still killing it though. But um, just surpassed Titanic. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, Rose. Yeah. You could have fit. You could have fit Jack on there. You piece of shit. <laughs> um. I love like I loved it for so many reasons. I mean, I'm a superhero fan. Of course, um, I loved seeing kind of black excellence represented everywhere, like from the creative team, um, just everywhere. Like it, it hasn't happened with that big of a budget before, and then to smash all those records and everything, um, and then just just having we were talking about at the beginning, kind of it's all kind of like most of the people in it are from Wakanda. Mm -hmm. So it's a specific place. So it's it's even a specific tribe of like Africans or, Mm -hmm. you know, the group of tribes. Yeah. yeah. Um, But all different. There was no monolithic thing. It was all different represent and super strong black women, Mm -hmm. like killing it. Um, So I liked a lot of things about it. And I was talking to one of my white friends about it. We were just like a back and forth on Facebook and his thing was like, my biggest take takeaway was like feminism. And I was like, I didn't know what to say because mm-hmm. I definitely like, like it's, to me, it's more complicated than that. Like if he was saying Absolutely. he wanted, he, his biggest takeaway was seeing black women specifically, yeah. then yeah. But like feminism, it's like, yes. Sure. <laughs> but like, let's get specific. Yeah. I think it's also deeper than that. Like that statement is deeper than that. It's like your biggest takeaway is feminism because you saw you're not used to seeing women in roles of power. And so if like your biggest takeaway from seeing women in roles of power, which that we exist all over, there are women's in, women in roles of power all over the country, all over the world. It's, it's ubiquitous, you know? Um, then that's your biggest takeaway. It's because you're so not used to seeing it. So like take it a step further and like analyze why that's what your takeaway was. Like it wasn't, there are an equal amount of like strong men in that movie, but your takeaway wasn't like men's rights. It was feminism because there are like an equal amount of strong women. So it's like you have to analyze why that that would be the thing that you focus yeah. on, you know. But also, no, your point about it being black women specifically. Yeah, I've been having this conversation a lot with people about the term people of color versus the term black. When people saying people of color or woman of color when they mean black women, mm-hmm. and it's like. You can just say black women. <laughs> like, it's yeah. okay. If it's an issue that's specific to black women, you can feel free to say black and not woman of color because people of color do face similar oppressions in that they are non white, but people of color have all uh, like different experiences. Different experiences, yeah. exactly. Like, I'm sure there are oppressions that I share with, you know, Asians, Pacific Islanders, Latinx people, uh, uh, Native people. I'm sure there are. Uh, experiences that I share simply because we're non-white but there are also specific experiences that all those groups have and intersectionally that like interracial people have you know that are not under the umbrella term of women of of people of color or women of color I just heard you use a term I've heard it before but I think it just registered Uh Latinx Latinx yeah that's instead of Latino to or Latina to de-gender yeah exactly um Latino Latina is like you know male versus female yeah then there's people in the middle so Latinx yeah covers all gets everybody get everybody in there well um I think this was a pretty good pretty good talk here hell yeah um where where's the best place for people to find you to find me um you can find me on twitter my handle is at casual afro um or you can just search taylor garen and it'll come up 
Um, you can catch me what, the second Thursday of every month at um, UCB Hell's Kitchen. I host Reductress's uh, monthly comedy show. It's called Ha Ha Wow. Um, now I'm doing the show at Pine Box called Ava and Taylor Fuck Your Exes. <laughs> it's hosted by me and um, another staff writer at Reductress, Ava Victor, who's great. Um, and we are the second Sunday of every month at Pine Box. Um, yeah, and you can search me on the Reductress homepage. If there's a if there's an article about race, I probably wrote it. Click on it, um, and click on the other amazing articles that are there because everyone there is really funny and a great writer. Um, and we're always looking for contributors, so holler at us there too. Nice. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to impart on the Bushwick Variety listening audience? Hmm. Um. If you are, this is very specific, if you are a comedy show goer, make it a point to go to comedy shows that are not just white dudes on the lineup or even just dudes on the lineup. There are so many comedy shows that are either all men, all white men, doesn't matter, like all, all just men in general, or they're all men in like one woman or all men in like a gay man or all men in, you know, and it's like there are many shows out there that have women and there are many, many funny women in New York City. So many of them. In fact, the the place I go take improv classes uh, was founded by one of those funny women. Her name is Amy Poehler. Um, I don't know if people know who she is. She's not very uh, famous or anything. Um, but she yeah. founded UCB, right? Yeah, she yeah. did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go see shows with women in them because contrary to popular belief, women are really funny and we have specific experiences that are funny that you should go and learn about. Yeah. Thank you very much. Of course, thank you. So that was my conversation with Taylor Guerin. She actually has a show tonight at the UCB Theater in Hell's Kitchen. I will have the link for that in the show notes, um, as well as she has a show coming up this Sunday at Pine Box Rock Shop at 7.30 in Brooklyn, in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Whoop, whoop. Um, so yeah, that and other information about where you can find her uh, at Casual Afro on Twitter. Um, check her out. Check her out. Check out Reductress Magazine. And yes, support comedy, support arts by people who you might not uh, usually um, seek out. Um, they're great. And yeah, support variety of art. Check us out at BushwickVarietyShow.com, iTunes, all the places you find podcasts. Subscribe, share, rate, review, hit us up on social media, all that stuff. And I will be back here again, definitely on Monday, but I think I'm going to be back here on Friday this week as well. So thank you very much for listening. Have a great weekend and I will talk to you soon. Take care. Peace. <laughs>